Welcome to Hotter Than Ever, where we uncover the unconscious rules we've been following, we break those rules, and we find a new path to being freer, happier, sexier, healthier, and more self-expressed. I'm your host, Erin Keating. Today, I talked to Laura Stratty about the C word, cancer. Laura is a two-time cancer survivor. I mean, to be hit with it twice in the course of your life is so unjust. And Laura became an oncology nurse navigator to help other people find their way through the complicated and life-altering world of cancer care. And as a cancer survivor herself, she was fueled by a passion to do right by the people she was helping. We talk about the impact of cancer beyond the physical, the impact of it on your money and your time, and on how people perceive you in the world when you have a shaved head. We also talk about Laura's career pivot into health tech. Her career transition process was really organic and really smart, and I think it's a good template for a lot of us who want to make big changes in our professional lives. For so many women, the personal becomes professional, then the professional is personal. And Laura is such an inspiring example of how to integrate those things in a meaningful way. Here is our conversation. Laura Stratty is a mother, wife, nurse, and two-time cancer survivor. At the age of 47, she left the security of traditional healthcare as an oncology RN to enter the unpredictable and unknown to her world of startups and digital health at Electra Health, which we will talk about. Switching her specialty from breast cancer care to the overlapping field of menopause care, amen, she continues to help women navigate major life changes to optimize health and wellness. We all need that. Laura, welcome to Hotter Than Ever. Thank you. I am thrilled to be here. You have been on a health journey, both professionally and personally, for a long time. And as it goes with women, those things sort of intertwine. Right. So I'd love to start with the personal piece and kind of what happened while you were in nursing school. And then we can jump into how everything has evolved for you professionally and personally and with your own well-being. Great. Great. So, yeah, my major health journey really started when I was 35. I was in the middle of nursing school. So my first degree is in fine art. I realized, like, it's really hard to make a living mm-hmm. doing that. It happens happens so, to the best of us. <laughs> right. <laughs> so when my kids were really little, I was like, I'm going to go back to nursing school. I was looking for something else. And nursing really had a just, there's a lot of pluses of being a nurse, the flexibility, all the different things you can do. You can work part-time and still get benefits and just all, like, those practical parts of... You're infinitely employable. Exactly. Yep. So... In the middle of nursing school, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, I was 35 at the time. Mm. And it was kind of a a struggle to get diagnosed, to be honest. Um, I I felt like I knew something was, I felt like something was wrong. And I had a lot of people telling me, oh, are you depressed? Which I do have depression, but it wasn't that. I had people telling me like, you know. Yeah. Like, do you need to talk to someone? That kind of thing. But I was like, you know, there was a couple things I was feeling and noticing that were just weird to me. And plus, I was taking pathophysiology and that you tend to like diagnose yourself with everything under the sun with that. But I had to push a little bit and like play the crazy 
card a little bit Mm. for someone to order some imaging. And then I was diagnosed. It was a summer morning. I got that call and I was like, I told you, like, I I was like, I wanted to call my doctor and be like, I told you something was wrong. But it was early stage breast cancer. So stage one, it's like really thrust me into this world that I knew nothing about. There's no strong family history of breast cancer in my family. And it like I this totally out of the blue. It's early stage. So, you know, treatment for at that time was surgery and chemotherapy and hormone Mm -hmm. therapy. So even for early stage cancers, they will treat you with chemotherapy, uh, depending on kind of the biology of the of the cancer. I had to have a mastectomy because there's just too much cancer in my small chest. And um, even at stage. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the first thing I remember when I was diagnosed was like, oh, my God, my kids, my kids were two and five at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, It was terrifying. My husband is 19 years older than me. And I was all I'm the one that's supposed to be alive for them, like long term. And but one of the first things I did was like, run to the basement, where we kept like our old office supplies stuff. And I grabbed a binder. And I'm like, okay, we got to do this. And I called my brother. My husband was out of town. I called my brother who's going to pick up um, our sons were on T-ball together. But I called up my brother. Mm-hmm. I'm like, Phil, I have cancer. Can you get Ned and bring him to T-ball? Because I can't go right now. And then like things kind of went into motion. Um, started working with a nurse navigator. Wait, wait, wait. What'd you put in the binder? Oh, I put, I started, I like made, <laughs> I made like her pathology reports, imaging reports just for notes. Like I like started uh, to write, I had already been like keeping track of every single doctor's appointment visit I've, my family and I have ever had just because I'm like weirdly anal about those kinds of things. And I like to track. It's not weird. Perfectionism is a superpower. We, we learned this on a recent episode. So, (laughs) so So I already had a spreadsheet, but this was like, just so I could, I wanted something that I could jot down quickly without, if I didn't have my computer with me and I just started kind of taking notes and, um, and, and kind of going from there, just like that, that oration like really helps me feel like it, I'm in control a little bit, like I can control yeah. a little bit of something. Um, and I started working with a nurse navigator named Deb Thine, who is like an angel. She is kind of like the model nurse navigator who became my mentor um, and hired me later on as a nurse navigator. But her role is really was just to kind of explain things to me. And this was in 2008. Mm-hmm. Care was less integrated and coordinated than it is now in many cancer programs. And so she explained things to me. She met me at uh, you know all the follow-up imaging, the workup that you need to continue doing and um, made sure my I got my appointment schedule that this doctor over in this clinic and this doctor and over that clinic. And just was like my one constant. Like if I had a question, I would call her. So that's what a nurse navigator does because Mm -hmm. I had never heard of this role. I am not a healthcare person. I I actually avoid it. (laughs) It's probably not going to go well for me. Um, But yeah, but a nurse navigator is like your single point of contact if you have cancer or some illness that you have to manage. Right. So navigators can look different. So nurse navigation really started in oncology. And like you might find some other navigators in other health fields. Like my husband had an orthopedic big knee surgery and he had like an orthopedic navigator. I was like, that's cool. Um, But in the system where I was getting treated, she really was kind of at the center of the care. Navigation can look different and can be a lot more kind of at arm's length, depending on where you go. Mm -hmm. But if you're ever diagnosed Mm -hmm. with cancer, always ask if there's a nurse navigator there, like kind of a blanket 
recommendation. Big lesson when you when you're newly diagnosed with cancer, you just have to learn a lot. And I was in nursing school, so yeah. I was like, okay, this is great. Like, let me learn about all this. I'm like learning about it in school. Let me learn about it in real life. It kind of really pointed me in the direction of my nursing career. It really kind of gave me a purpose. So it was, you know, that cancer experience, it was like traumatic at points. It was totally fine at points. It was smooth sailing at most points. I feel very blessed that my things happened in timing. I didn't have to drop out of school. I had support. I had a really, you know, it was, it was, I hate to, I don't mean to like say this, but it wasn't as worse as I thought it was going to be when I first was diagnosed. Sure. It's okay to say that, right? That there's a range of experiences Mm -hmm. and you had an experience where you were well supported and you caught it early and you listened to your intuition, even though the medical system was poo-pooing you because you're a young woman. Right. I did handle it. Yeah. So that journey, you know, just kind of taught me a lot about what I needed to do personally in order to kind of like keep my health and wellness in intact, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So all of those things that pe- you hear about doing, especially when you're in your 30s and you f- you still are kind of, inv- you still feel a little bit invincible. You can still like beat up your body a little bit and st- wake up the next morning feeling good. But I soon learned that, you know, prioritizing sleep, stress management, which I'm not always good at, and just exercise. Like I- I've always been an exerciser, but this has been like, okay, I've got to do it for my mental health. And, you know, it reduces the risk of recurrence and like eating a well-balanced diet, lots of plants. You know, those are all things that like really came into the forefront. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. by means like a health fanatic. I take a very reasonable approach, but it really became kind of important to me to continue yeah. that because, you know, when I, after I was first diagnosed, I saw this book and I didn't buy it. I should have, but it was like the title of the book was Cancer Does Not Make Me a Better Person. Mm. which I kind of loved because there's a lot of pressure when you're diagnosed with something like cancer to be like, I'm living each day like it's my last day. And I'm so thankful for today, which I mean, yeah, but like, I can't live by that creed every single day. Like, it's a lot of pressure. It's Um, aspirational. Yeah. You know, God, I mean, that's just all these things that we expect of ourselves in adversity or we hope adversity will give us because we're trying to turn it around, you know? (laughs) Right. And, you know, I came to the decision, I'm like, I came to the conclusion that like, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can, but I cannot live each day. Like I can't have these great expectations for every day because that's just not realistic. And I, there's too much pressure there. So I graduated from nursing school and I got my feet wet on like a medical surgical for like working nights, which I can't believe. Like I look back and I'm like, how did I ever like do that? It was the hardest. That was the hardest year I've ever had. I've never worked so hard. Also, it was tough. Circadian rhythm disruption. I'm not even, I've never used that phrase before in my life, but that's what it occurs (laughs) to me. Yeah. Like it was sleep is critical. How did you do that? Oh my God. Well, my daughter and I played a lot of nap time. So she would put me down for naps. (laughs) Um, that was my favorite, favorite game. Um, but we had, you know, I had help. I had support. My husband was great. We had, you know, we had the kids in childcare a few days a week and just a lot of family support. So very, very lucky. Mm. You know, after I worked on the floor, just it's, you know, it's really hard to be a nurse. Um, and we hear it every day, especially 
what's happened because of COVID, but working on an inpatient unit is incredibly challenging. And I knew fairly certain, I knew like right off the bat that it wasn't for me. And I got those nurses that I, though they are true heroes and that's cliche, but people who, people who can work on an inpatient unit, like deserve all the respect in the world without a doubt. But then I did a little bit with some nursing informatics, which is like a nurse navigator. So my navigator, Deb, hired me on as her part two, like her number two. And that was so in the four short years between my diagnosis and working with a patient to working with her as a colleague, the care integration had become so much more solidified. And it was such a better integrative program. And when I say integrative, I'm not meaning necessarily like, you know, acupuncture. Right, you're not talking about holistic. You're complementary therapies. I'm the systems working together. The systems working together. And it was great to be a part of that. So we worked with women from the time they were diagnosed. We would be kind of like their second phone call after they received their news. And we kind of worked with them away through the end of active treatment. And some women didn't end active treatment if they had advanced disease, metastatic disease, and work with them into kind of what we call survivorship, which is kind of that wellness piece. So like we, we do all this stuff, we throw all this stuff at you, we poison you, we burn you, we slash you and maim you mm-hmm. in some respect. And we want to get your life, you know, we need to help you kind of get things back to where they were before and better, hopefully. That's incredible because my sense of my own experience with the healthcare system is it's just piecemeal. It's just you go in and you do the little thing and then like no one follows up and everyone's kind of half-assed about connecting the dots and no one has the files and like your system doesn't talk to that system. And if you're not in this plan, you can't do that thing. And oh my God, it's a, yeah. it's a real mess out there. It is a real mess. And that's why I think, especially in oncology, and there's so many other areas of healthcare where it's so complicated and there's so many different players. And it's like this finely tuned, like, you know, play where like act one is this, act two is this, and they've got to come in order that this, you know, navigation is really there to kind of help get that patient through so they can finish treatment. And it is such an important role. I don't understand how people can get through this without that strong navigation support. Yeah. So. And you were talking to me about these different kinds of toxicities of cancer. There's yeah. the toxicity yeah. of the cancer itself, right? And then there's the treatment, but there's the stuff in your life that is impacted by having cancer. Yeah. Financial toxicity is something you mentioned, time toxicity. I'd love to yeah. hear about those ideas. Right. So financial toxicity is a concept that's been around for a while. And it's really kind of what it sounds like when you go through cancer treatment, most people will take a big financial hit somehow, either in the amount that's not covered by insurance or your co-pays. You could be diagnosed in December and then blow through your $10,000 deductible oh, or out of pocket again max. Next year. And then you do it again a month later. All those little pieces that you try to figure out in advance, like how much is this going to cost me? And then you're hit with this weird bill or, I mean, it's just, there's so many bills coming and it's so hard to navigate. So there's that financial toxicity in that aspect, but also in all of the, when you go through cancer and this kind of leads into the time toxicity, you are taking time off of work. You might have to quit your job. You might have to take a leave of absence, depending on your chemotherapy. You take time off after surgery. If there's any complications, you're taking time off here and there. And some people don't have sick time. 
Some people, you know, just jumping through hoops to get the FMLA paperwork filled out is like a nightmare. For some employers, they just do not make it easy. Well, and what if you don't have a full-time job? What if you're freelance? What if you're a gig economy person? Exactly. You know, what if you're Absolutely. an artist and there's no, you know, nobody's paying into your health and wellness? Like, wow. Right. It interrupts your life in so many ways. The mental aspect, which I'll talk about kind of the mental aspect a little bit about my second round of, of cancer, but the time toxicity is, is the other aspect and it, it, it's closely intertwined with financial, just how much time it takes to manage this. It's really a part-time job. Sometimes it's a full-time job. You also have to take into account if you're caring for someone, if you're a caregiver yourself, your children, aging parents, you need to make arrangements for them rides to school, meal trains, like you can get people to help you. But when it comes down to it, you're kind of coordinating that yourself. You know, you, you, could, you can look at how much time other people are spent helping you, mm. right? That's time out of their schedule and their calendars that they might be making some sacrifices to do that. So this time toxicity piece is, is really interesting. And when I was diagnosed this year, I read a paper, I read an article about time toxicity, and it never occurred to me like this was a thing. Right. This is a concept. And it, I was embarrassed because I was like, oh my God, yeah. Like how much, you know, part of my role as a navigator was to kind of help with that. Yeah. Like we would try to piggyback appointments so people wouldn't have to come in two days for two different tests. They could like do it one, you know, one right after the other. That sounds practical. Um, yeah. And it, it it's, but it's a lot of, a lot of places won't have people in the role that can do that for you. Some navigators don't have that kind of scheduling control that we had in the, the hospital system I worked at. But, you know, the time that it takes to manage this, the time that it takes when you're preoccupied, the time that it takes when you, someone makes an appointment, like you, you're diagnosed, you need to get in for a follow-up scan to see if it's spread. You're taking any appointment they give you. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your calendar That's says. Right. Like you're just taking it. So that time toxicity piece is is just another huge kind of disruption in your life. And it's really hard to work around. So kind of what I'm interested in now is like looking, how can we really do something? What can, What are the levers that we can pull that will make that better for yeah. people? Yeah. I mean, it's hard enough to manage the like emotional reaction to your own mortality, you know, yeah. let alone all of this other stuff that layers on top. And if you don't have a good support system, you know, it's you don't, tough. yeah, I mean, it's really tough. I don't think it's our really, culture really is tough. set up for caregiving on any level. We have a very sort of fixed and limited notion of work and time, and it is not set up for caregivers to give care, let alone get care. Yeah, there is so much support that is needed that we're not giving. Yeah. As a society, we don't value that in this country, which is really sad. Yeah, because isn't the point of being alive to just live and take care of each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is. It is. Um, I so Actually, I love that. You built a, a career in, mm -hmm. in nursing focused yeah. on oncology and you could have stayed doing that forever and ever because there's infinite yep. demand cancer's not going anywhere right. unfortunately but you decided to take a turn when you were 47 to make a shift but that was a shift that came over time right what was the thing you were attracted to and what was the change that you made one thing that struck me when we spoke was that a lot of people could benefit from hearing how you pursued a change in career yeah. that 
that you didn't know how to pursue, how to go from one right. thing to the next, but you found a good path. Yeah. So I, I just started, you know, working in healthcare can be very disillusioning. Um, no. You get your, <laughs> like, all that mm. stuff that happens and it, it can be hard. And I was starting to see, like, on the periphery, like, oh, these cool things are happening, like, outside of the traditional healthcare space that are, like, making a difference. And I, I was like, how do I get there? I don't know how to get there. Like, I don't, I started, like, just following random people on Twitter and LinkedIn and just started kind of reading more. There's like this area of health tech, right? So yeah. like, that's how I, like, okay, I want to get into health tech. How do I do this? Like, I don't even know, like, you know, what does that entail? So it's a lot of research, just reading. And then I've, you know, I discovered this company outside of New York that was in health tech, in in research and in oncology. So they were hiring nurses from all over the country to abstract uh, data abstractors. So we would go through charts and pull data in structured format. And I was like, okay, I can do that. And that's going to be like my leap into this company, which seems like a really cool company. It was called Flatiron Health. And I I got the job and I very quickly realized like if it's going to be like, you know, just getting, becoming an abstractor there, they had a huge workforce or a big company. Like that wasn't going to be my step in. So I needed to like figure out out something else. And so again, just like starting to talk to people, I just, I, I knew some people that were kind of in the periphery of health tech. So I just started networking with them a little bit. And it's like acting, it's, it was, it's really kind of like calling people up and ask, it's networking, you know, you ask for, you know, can I have 20 minutes of your time and just have a conversation and just learn about their journey. And I, I didn't even know, like, you know, people would ask me at that point, well, what are you interested in? What do you want to do right. in this area? And I'm like, I don't even, I don't know. Like you tell me, I don't know. Like I don't even know what exists. What I'm, right. I didn't know. What yeah, are the roles? Exactly. Like I don't know what the, <laughs> you know, you, you start to talk with one person and they're like, well, you know, you could should talk to this person right. and then you follow up and you just kind of, it, it takes time and it takes a lot of effort, but um, it, it's really kind of worth it. And, you know, I, I was 47 at the time when I started this and I was feeling really kind of like, oh my God, I'm just way too old for this. Mm -hmm. Like you and I had talked about this invi invisibility concept that women often talk about when they're like approaching 50 and above. Um, yeah. Say more about that. Yeah. So my confidence level was just not there. Um, when I was starting this kind of this journey, I was like, I can't do this. All these people went to school. They're so much smarter than me. Like they've oh, been they're tech people. They're tech people and they know these weird tools like Slack and like, you know, I mean, it, I just it was very intimidating. And it's hard to go from an area where you feel like you're an expert mm. and then into an area where you're not an expert. Right. That is scary proposition. But I, I kind of came to a point when especially when COVID hit, I'm like, I need to, to figure something out. Like, I got to do something here. So I stumbled across this guy who, you know, is young enough to be my child. And he was starting this, he started this newsletter called Out of Pocket Health. And he was starting this community, the Slack community. I had no idea what Slack was. And he's like, apply. I'm accepting 20 people. It's going to be a very intentional community. And it's just going to be one that's going to help each other out and in all different areas of healthcare. Cool. So I applied and I got in and I was like, oh my God, well, this because is like so cool. They need people with boots on the ground experience, right? I imagine yeah. that you have an experience that they can't even, they can't access that information, that insight that you have yeah. after spending 15 years as a nurse focused on oncology. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was great. And they didn't have in that first cohort, they didn't have a lot of clinicians. 
and this community has grown and grown and it it in this community started in May of 2020. So great time to become part of this community. And through this community, I really got the confidence that I needed to kind of like really start taking steps. And I just somehow came across Electra Health. And there was like this little comment on their website, like interested in working with us, send us an email. And I was like, immediately, I'm like, first of all, what drew me to Electra was that it was dealing with menopause, mm-hmm. which is something that in cancer care, especially breast cancer care, we deal with all the time. We put people into early menopause with chemotherapy. It can be permanent menopause. So that's a, that's an effect of chemotherapy is that women have menopausal it can shut down your symptoms. Yeah. Okay. So it can it'll shut down your ovaries temporarily. Um, and depending on your age and the kind of medications that you get, um, your cycles may resume afterwards. Uh, or they may not. So the older you are, certain medications have a h- much harder hit on ovarian function. So in my case, when I was 35, I did get my cycle back. So I was only in that menopause temporarily while I was getting, you know, like three or four months of chemotherapy. And it came back fairly quickly, actually. In addition to the chemotherapy piece, you know, if you are in GYN cancers, then surgery can be involved. Mm-hmm. And then that there's menopause related with that, of course. And in breast cancer care, we give women estrogen blocking therapy for five to 10 years. And most breast cancers are what we call estrogen receptor positive. And so most women who are estrogen receptor positive will get these estrogen blocking medications. They're oral, you take it, you know, it's a pill, you take once a day, but the side effects can be their menopause-like side effects. Mm -hmm. So you could be, you know, like I was 35, 36 and like having hot flashes Mm -hmm. a little bit from, you know, I I tolerated them very well. Some people have really hard time, hot flashes up the wazoo, like major vaginal symptoms, um, you know, all these weight issues because of it. We also give this medication to older women. So it doesn't, you know, you could be 85 and we'll give you a medication and all of a sudden you're having hot flashes again. Oh. You, you know, your your joints may become incredibly achy because we're kind of eliminating the last bits of estrogen in your body with these medications. So it can be, you know, some people, some women tolerate them very well. A lot of people don't tolerate mm. them very well. And we didn't have a good way to help women manage this in the oncology world. Like sleep would be such a huge issue, brain fog, like unrelated to chemotherapy and, and chemo brain. Um, the sexual side effects were huge. And we would kind of give them like half-ass support. Like what did that look you know, like? And I would um go see a sleep specialist, you know, try cognitive behavioral therapy for sleep, which is great, which is super effective. But there was I think two certified providers mm. in Southeast Wisconsin, where I live. And I think one of them didn't take insurance and, and it's, and it's therapy. It takes time. We would kind of try to make, you know, go see your gynecologist about these things or your primary care. We just didn't have good resources too. So I would be like looking and scouring the internet for things. And, and there's some good resources, but menopause is such a, has been such a black hole in women's health for so long. It is changing. Thank God. But when I discovered Electra Health, I was like, this is what the world needs. It, we need education. We need to learn more about interventions yep. 
medical interventions, lifestyle interventions, because there are some that are can be pretty effective. And we just need more acknowledgement and awareness that this is a thing and that women can get help and women deserve help in this. So I reached out to Electra and I just sent them this like fangirl email. And then we started a conversation. And then a couple months later, I was working for them. But you wouldn't have done that if you hadn't been active on this Slack group and not no. just lurking, oh, no. right? You were not just lurking. You were actually participating in the conversation and really yeah. having a voice there. Yeah, absolutely. And actually the job posting that I saw, so we were I was having a conversation with Electra and then someone in this out of pocket community was good friends with the COO and she's the one that posted the job posting that I saw and like so I do owe out of pocket that um, the fact that I'm working there. So it kind of was like this double sided. I was approaching them from two sides, which was great. But they absolutely gave me the the confidence and the ability to see like, you know, the things that you learn as a nurse are completely transferable into kind of a more office corporate setting, time management, people management, project management, working under stress, kind of being scrappy, figuring things out. It's directly transferable into kind of an early stage startup. When you don't have resources, you got to figure it out on your own and figure it as you go. I love that you found all your skills to be transferable because I think we think Mm -hmm. they're not. I think we think like it doesn't come with us or that we can't translate what we know. But by the time you're in your 40s and you've put in a huge amount of time in a career and you've been building all of these interpersonal skills and organizational skills, I think they just come baked in with you. And right. so you've evolved to understand how to work, period. Right. Right. And, you know, and I think that just being a mom and running a Ugh, household, yes. like when I was younger, a friend, a girlfriend of mine said, I'm the project manager of my household. Right. And I'm like, that, yeah, you are. You are juggling things. You are organizing things. You are making sure things get done when they need to get done. And usually that falls on women, right? Yeah. Like, let's be honest. Yeah. And that is a huge organizational feat. Skills. Yeah. I wish women could, who have stepped out of the workforce, could codify that to come back in yeah. if they want to. I'd love to see a resume that's actually broken down for like household management, mothering as a skill set on LinkedIn. That would be great. And then, yeah, caring for adult aging parents or all of that. Multitasking. Um, So what is your role today at Electra? So my role at Electra, so we're an early stage startup, which has just been so much fun. So I felt like a fish out of water. I felt really stupid the first several months because all these tools, I'm like, oh my God, did I make the right choice? But I am so glad I, I did absolutely make the right choice. My title is Senior Manager of Program and Operations. But when you're in this early stage startup, it's you're kind of all hands Everything. on deck and you're mm-hmm. doing a little bit of marketing, like event planning, hosting some of our virtual events, kind of building out a lot of backend processes. We've done, we have some coaching, we have a clinical, we have a virtual clinic. So doing the clinical operations behind uh-huh. that. So it's really more of an operational kind of role as well that, that I'm doing right now that has evolved over time. And will continue um, to evolve as the company and evolves. And will continue to evolve. Yeah. Startups are and that's very exciting kind of, that, and also they are all consuming. And a little chaotic. Uh, people kind of, before I took this job, I was kind of at, talking to some people who knew startups and they're like, you have to be okay with uncertainty and quick pivots and 
lack of structure. I was like, okay, I'm a very risk averse person. (laughs) I like organization structure. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to do it anyway. And it's just been the best decision. And one of the kind of the neatest things I think of this whole experience was like, my kids knew I, I was unhappy with my old job. And that the fact that I took steps to change that mm. and I found a job that I love, I think I'm just so proud that I could be a role model for that for my kids. Like, huge. It's huge where they see you don't have to suffer. That doesn't matter how old you are, to, that you're going to make a change. If you intuitively know you're attracted to something new, like, go for, go it. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I have the same experience with my kids. They're like, my son, who is 12 and somewhat sarcastic, but I think he means this in a nice way, calls me mommy mogul, which I'm like, mm, does it, are you being a dick? I can't tell. <laughs> half the time he probably is yep. and half the time he probably means it exactly. like in the best way possible. I'll be like, thanks. Depends on his mood. <laughs> I love it. But I, I think that those kinds of examples, because, you know, you, you can say stuff to your kids all you want yeah. and they're not going to listen to you, but... If you show them, it's better. If it's coming from someone else, that's even better. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I'd love to get back to this notion of invisibility because Mm -hmm. I hear women talking about being in their 40s, being in their 50s, being in their 60s, and that the world doesn't see them anymore. I'm curious what your experience was with that and you know, and also you have a visible marker of being a cancer survivor in that you mm-hmm. shave your head. So yeah. that is also not invisible. Right. So before I was a nurse, I worked in kind of nonprofits. So very female heavy mm-hmm. fields. Um, and so I'm, I feel like I ne- haven't necessarily gotten that invisibility or experienced that invisibility. And if I had to guess why, I think it's probably because I'm in a female, I've been always in these female dominated fields and companies. So I feel like I've like, there hasn't been space for invisibility right. to happen necessarily. But I, I feel like in some areas, like I could, you know, in a more corporate area, more traditional corporate, like if you're a banker, I don't know, like finance um, or, or some other field that's much more male dominated. Could I see something like that happening? Probably. And, and I'm wondering if, you know, it, it, it just is kind of dependent on where you are and what you do. From a standpoint of age, it is interesting when I am, you know, like a lot of people I work with, I might work with someone who is like over 25 years younger mm-hmm. than me. And she's great. And she's fabulous. And my two bosses, the co-founders of Electra are younger than me. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it, it's kind of, it's amazing. I kind of see it as like, it's amazing to see this younger generation of women. Like they don't have the same, I think, hangups maybe as we do. I mean, they experience a lot of pushback in some areas because of the fact that they're female, you know, in, in fundraising for, oh, for venture, yeah. venture back capital, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But they are like, they're amazing. They're going to, they're going to change the world and the world going to be a better place because of them. But for health, when I went through chemo the first time, I shaved my head without a thought. I never wore a wig. One of the most empowering experiences I ever had was going to the grocery store, my local grocery store the first time Mm. and just walking around. And I actually ran into someone I kind of knew and he's a nice haircut. And I like was able to drop the 
yeah, chemo, chemo gave me that haircut bomb and um, <laughs> make him feel a little bit stupid. But it was great. It was like kind of this like really he was judging you. He's like, what are you, a punk rocker yeah. now? <laughs> right. Like, no, actually, cancer. Yeah. But that was actually really empowering walking around without any hair. Um, and it helps because, you know, I would get comments constantly. You look great with, you know, you've got a nice head shape. You look great without hair. And I actually felt good without hair. Like I had shaved my head once back in college by mistake. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I've been here, done that. Right. So this time round, I'm 15 years older. You know, my body's 15 years older and I was getting a chemo regimen that possibly um, some women don't experience complete hair loss. And some can experience kind of little, little hair loss. I'm like, I'm going to give this a go and see. You can do these cold caps now, which I didn't want to mess with because it just seemed like it was way too much effort for me at the time. What so, is that? It just um, keep, blocks the hair it, loss? So, so yeah. So you basically wear a cap that's cold and it has to be kept cold. Basically, it's so cold that it blocks the the blood flow to the hair follicles and your hair is not damaged. Your hair follicles then are not damaged by chemotherapy and you can keep your hair. So it's pretty cool. I would definitely um, do that. I yeah, don't want to know what my head shape is. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of people who, I mean, it's really, really, hair loss is really that huge kind of like sign yeah. of a cancer patient, a sign that you're sick. I had hair many for a big part of my life. And then after I was die, after I went through chemo, I didn't want to go through the hassle of growing out my hair because we all know how hard that yeah. is. So like, I just kept it short and you know, people would come up to me, strangers all the time. Your hair, you look so great with that. You're rocking that short hair. And I was like, oh, this is great. So it was like, it did even having short hair and I'm, I am a natural platinum blonde. So I've got to get back to that in my, like I identify as a natural platinum uh -huh. blonde. I'm waiting for my hair to grow out a little bit more before I color my hair again. But, um, <laughs> so you're an, a natural in quotes, platinum blonde. Yeah. Got yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I do have blonde hair naturally. Yes. Though. My but it's your destiny like, to be a platinum, platinum blonde. It's my destiny. Got it. Yes. Got it. I held on to my hair and it was short hair. I held on to it for as long as I could. And then I felt like, I felt like Gollum, mm. <laughs> like, from Lords of the Rings, when he's like that, those like few wisps, I finally was like, I cannot do a comb over anymore. <laughs> and so I shaved my head again this time round. And I really didn't want to, because I was like, do I really want to do this? Like no one wants to see me, but I'm so glad I did it. It just made me so much less self-conscious, yeah. honestly, very empowering experience. And it was absolutely empowering to come back to work. And I did it over the weekend. And then on Monday morning, I had a meeting um, with some external people and the first time I met them. And so they saw me with this hair and it was, you know, you get a little nervous, but then you go through it and you're like, damn, if I can do that, I can do anything. So yeah. like, it is like, uh, like superpower giving to to have this, I in love my that. opinion. I love that. And also you have a good head shape. <laughs> <laughs> um, I ask everyone who comes on the podcast one question, and I'd like to ask it to you, which is, are there any deal terms in your life, any sort of agreements or arrangements or compromises or situations that you feel ready to renegotiate? I feel like it's just, you know, my kids are about to be my son is in college. My daughter is a senior in high school. I'm about to become an empty nester. And I feel like there's a lot of renegotiating that's going to happen when that Whether happens. Whether you like it or not. Yep. Whether I like it or not. And I and I have, like, I, I think about it. My husband and I talk about it. 
that's there's a big unknown there. Mm. And I feel like I wanted I definitely want to do something different. I want to take advantage of kind of the freedom that comes with having my kids being off to, at college and having, especially now that I work remotely, like where can that take me? Right. It's an unknown. You know that it's going yeah. to need to be re- renegotiated and that you yeah. have an opportunity yeah. to rewrite the way things are in a bunch of different ways as a result of yeah. not needing to be on call 24 hours a day. My kids are 12 and I think about that. I'm like simultaneously excited for them to go to college tomorrow and then don't ever want them to leave, you know? I know. it. it it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's bittersweet yeah. for sure. But I always tell my kids, I'm like, my job as a mom is to like launch you into the world as a, a good citizen of the world and resilient citizen of the world. And I want to see you fly. That's why that's what I've been doing all these years. So yeah. that's beautiful, Laura. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. I've really, I've learned a lot from your journey and also from the way that you've extracted an expertise through your own personal experiences. I think women are really good at integrating our personal selves and our professional selves, and we don't get credit for that. Thank you for the work you do. Well, thank you. This was, this has been great. Take care and be well. Thanks. You too. Thanks for listening to Hotter Than Ever. Hotties, I looked at Apple Podcasts today and so many of you have left wonderful five-star reviews. Thank you, thank you, thank you. E. McGowan writes, I feel like I have a friend to talk with about all the difficult topics I am faced with. I'm at the time of my life where it all applies. You are giving me confidence and helping me in my journey to live my life. So thanks from one errand to another. Thank you, Aaron. Your encouragement means the world to me. Tell your friends about the show. Share the word on social media. And for those of you who want to get more involved with Hotter Than Ever, please go to the Hotter Than Ever Instagram at Hotter Than Ever Pod and DM me with questions or topics or ideas you'd like me to take on in the show. What is burning you up? What is the conundrum you keep rolling over and over again in your head? Maybe I can help you get things untangled so you can live your hotter than ever life. Reach out. I'm dying to hear from you. Is that too thirsty? Yeah, well, maybe I'm thirsty. I really am dying to hear from you. Hotter Than Ever is produced by Erica Gerard and Podkit Productions. Our associate producer is Melody Carey. Music is by Chris Keating with vocals by Isa Fernandez. Come back next week, hottie. We're going to keep on digging deep. 